reading out of the King James Version. This is a psalm of David, a psalm of Lamet, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. People are talking, Lord. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Can somebody say amen? amen? I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept, and I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands, not thousand, plural, ten thousands of people that set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. You have broke the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, and your blessing is upon your people. Silah. There are battles, and then there are battles. There are trials that we experience, and then there are trials. There's pressure in the life of a Christian, and then there's pressure. And you get enough pressure, and pressure will burst pipes. There are people in this room under incredible pressure today. And there are times that try the very fabric of men's souls. Times like David, is, that he's experiencing here, Times like these introduce you to yourself and to God. They reveal your faith or the lack of your faith. But they most assuredly correct your priorities and cause you to center your life on the God that once saved you. For the active believer in God, the more difficult life becomes, the more impossible the odds, the greater the pain and the darker the night the tighter that person cleaves to God. David was no stranger to difficulty, no stranger to sorrow, no stranger to pain, but this was the pinnacle. His son Absalom had risen up against him and systematically and strategically over several years had drawn the hearts of the nation of Israel away from the psalmist of Israel, David, and brought them unto himself. And there was not just a coup and a revolt, but he was taking the kingdom. Second Samuel 15, I believe it is, we see David walking out of the city of God through the Kidron Valley with his head covered, his feet bare, and a sound of great weeping. What do you do when you're navigating the most difficult time of your life? When the Lord started stirring in my heart this message, I know it's not for everybody. But there are people here today that if you were to ask them what's the darkest night, what's the most difficult time, what's the most intense pressure, they would say today. They identify with David, whose own son had turned against him, head covered, no shoes on his feet, walking away from everything that God had provided through the tightest, most constricting channel of the unknown that he's ever known. And people like Shimei are throwing dirt on him and cursing him, saying, God's left you, God's abandoned you. And this this psalm, it's not a formula, but there is wisdom for the person that's navigating a horrible place. And without answering, is there anybody navigating a horrible place, an impossible place, a tight place? There are three things that David does, and there's three things that I want to encourage you about. He gave a description of what was going on. He didn't ignore it. He didn't act like it wasn't there. 
He didn't do the proverbial stick your head in the sand. He said, many are they that rise up against me and my troubles are increasing. He addressed it. He looked it right in the face. He made an accurate description and then he made a bold declaration. He said, but God, but God, thou, O Lord, are a shield that surrounds me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. And then he had an expectation. And I know in the end, you're going to break the teeth of my enemies, which means you're going to make the thing that has the capacity to wound me become a non-issue. You're going to smite him in the mouth. And David wasn't asking God to destroy people. He was asking God to restore him. And I'll speak to you for a few moments on the subject of navigating the worst of times. By faith, I just want to know who is it in here that believes that the Lord's going to speak to you for your life today. I want you to slip your hand up. Father, as we sit before you and I stand before you, use my words today. Make my tongue like the pen of a ready writer. Let it write a note specifically to people. Poignant, accurate, Don't let me get in the way, oh Lord. Give me the ability to preach with such an anointing that people would get in their car today and look to their spouse and say, I heard from God today for my life. And I believe you for it, God, in Jesus' name, amen. David, the king of Israel, was no stranger to horrible times. He said in verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many they are that rise up against me. Trouble had found David because of his past sins, his sins with Delilah and the murdering of Uriah. And some of us have difficulty in our life today because of past sins, and that's the lot of every Christian. You're not the first one. All through the Bible, there's record of God giving us grace, but we still have to pay for the ramifications of our sins. And God pronounced a judgment upon David. He was forgiven, he said, but because... You destroyed this man's house. The sword will never leave your house. And mixed in with God's judgment, there was great mercy. I have my earthly father's Bible in my office. And there's not enough money in the world to buy it from me. It sits on my little table. And in his notes, he had written with his hand, he said, one of the three things I've, or three primary things I've learned about God is the love of God will never let you go. And the power of God will never let you down. And the judgment of God will never let you by. And David had judgment upon his life mixed with mercy. But he was no stranger to difficulty because of stupid choices he's made. Anybody else made some stupid choices? And we're paying some stupid tax for those stupid choices. Trouble found him for, because of the things he left undone. David had a um, daughter named Tamar. And one of his firstborn sons from one of his many wives, Amnon, raped her. And David didn't do anything about it because he loved Amnon. And that was the spark that lit Absalom to despise his father because he loved Tamar. And Tamar came into his house and She became a defiled, disgraced person because this man that loved her so much raped her and then didn't want anything to do with her. But David didn't deal with it. And he was experiencing trouble because of things he didn't do. So in our life, can you identify with this? We experience trouble for the things we've done. And we experience trouble because of the things we left undone. Hey, sir, don't ever let your family pay the tab for your lack of courage. God's put you in a position of leadership. You lead your family. If you're leading it by yourself, mom, you lead your family. Don't overlook. God didn't call you to be your teenager's friends. He called you to be your teenager's parent. And you lead. You lead in difficult times. And David was unwilling to lose that affection with Amnon, so he just looked the other way. Trouble that found him because of the ingratitude and cruelty of others. These were the people in the nation that he'd led so faithfully as the under-shepherd under the Lord Jesus. And people that are for you all of a sudden are against you. Early on in my Christian life, I heard an old preacher say, had kind of an edge on him, but it was true when he said it. He said, be careful of those people that are quick to kiss you. 
because they'll be quick to kick you too. And all these people that David's the king, David's the spokesperson of the Lord. David had killed his tens of thousands. Absalom sat at the city gates and said, I'm sorry that the king can't see you. He doesn't have time for you. What's your problem? And he won the hearts of the people over through manipulation. You don't build your hope and trust in the opinions of people. David would soon learn this. Trouble found him because they were ungrateful and they were cruel. And trouble had found him because when you're a vessel of honor, you are a target of hell. Listen to your pastor. When you are a vessel of honor, set apart, sanctified for the Lord's use, and the Lord starts to use you to influence others. What Aaron was talking about. When you are an ambassador at your work, when you are light in a dark place, when you are salt that preserves that office where you work or that school where you work, The fact that you have position, opportunity, and influence. You are the target of hell. It's not that he wants to make your life miserable. I hear people all the time, their car won't start. They go, the devil. No, you didn't maintenance your car. Devil made my battery go dead. Your battery is 61 years old. The devil didn't make your battery go dead. Listen to me. He don't care about your battery. He's not into making your life inconvenient. He wants to rob you of your influence, which brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's after. And in basketball, if a man can't shoot, they don't cover him. They put two on the guy down low and cover him. And you see one guy out there in three-point land with nobody covering him, and he said, don't worry about him. He'll check himself. And there are many of us The devil hadn't messed with us in a long time because your life is just your own little bubble and you're not influential. You're not making a difference. And I'm not not mad at you. I'm just telling you. You don't believe the devil's real? Decide to use your life for the glory of Jesus Christ and then come check with me. David was visible. He was influential. And he had brought Israel into its glory generation. And the devil was after him. Sometimes it's not what you're facing, but the origin of it that weighs so heavy on your soul. It's one thing to be hated, but when you're hated by your son. It's one thing for the origin of your trouble to exist in the heart of someone you would die for. If the origin comes from your own mistakes or your own things that are left undone. And it wouldn't be so hard to bear if we, as we endured it, if our situation improved, but when you visibly watch and track the downward spiral of things, it can be overwhelming. David said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? They just keep adding more people. It's like more trouble, more financial pressure, more difficulty. And many there be that rise up against me. God, it ain't getting no better. It's getting worse. Sometimes if it was just bad and it stayed bad, you could handle it, but you wake up And God's mercies are new, but there's more people opposing you. More obstacles. Can anybody relate to what I'm sharing here? Just more. David was no stranger to this, nor are the people of God. David was no stranger to negative words, public slander, and private disdain. If you're taking notes, write this down. He was no stranger to negative words, public slander, or private disdain. And he said, many there be, many, many, when they're talking about me privately, when they're speaking about me publicly, when I'm not around, word has gotten back to me that many people say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. There's no help for him in God. Sometimes it's not the lies that people spread about us that hurt us the deepest, but it's the cruel words that have an element of truth in them that hurt us the deepest. There's no help for him in God. People either believed that God didn't exist, so he's trusting in something that doesn't exist, or he's trusting in God and we believe God does exist and that righteous God is done with David because David's a fool. When what they say has a ring of truth about it and you wonder, have I done it? Have I crossed the line? Has God washed his hands of me and turned away from me? 
And when you walk through that tight place, you walk by yourself and you wait on a whisper from heaven that contradicts the shout of the crowd. You remember when Paul made it through shipwreck, floated in on a little piece of wood? Have you ever floated in on a little piece of something? Made it into shore, shivering cold, he's gathering up sticks, and a snake jumps out of the fire, latches onto his arm, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. You make it out of shipwreck, snake hanging from your arm, you warming your hands in the fire. You know, he just slings it off. But when they saw the snake latched onto him, they said, I bet he's a murderer. The sea didn't kill him, but God's not going to let him live. So here's Paul, snake hanging from his arm. He hears, I bet he's a murderer. God's judging him. He's thinking, yeah, I am. I used to kill people called themselves Christians. I killed children. I killed grandparents. I killed moms. I separated their family. Now put them to death because they were in the way, following the way of Jesus Christ. David's hearing these words. There's no hope for him in God. And he's wondering, is it true, Lord? Are my sins greater than your mercy? Are my failures greater than your purposes? Is this it? Is this, is this how my chapter, is this how my life's going to end? Because no man knows the end. Many people were speaking this way to him and about him. Enemies and friends. There were people that loved him were saying, this has to be it. I've never seen the king, listen, so helpless. I've never seen the king with so little support. I've never seen the king barefoot, walking away from a fight. This is David. This is the man that killed a lion with his bare hands when he was a boy. Killed a bear with his bare hands. Killed Goliath with a rag and a piece of leather. Here's David where the nation had sung about him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. That's the light of Israel. Have you ever been so humbled and so low that people that know your great history with God will look upon you and say, God's done with him. You got to be careful because the words of people will get down in your spirit and push you further than the natural process of walking through difficult times. They'll take you from difficulty if you listen to their words and push you just six inches over into despondency. They'll push you from helplessness into hopelessness. There'll be a finality about your words. And only God gets to put periods in your life. Only God gets to put periods in your life. For some of you, God is allowing you to hear their words because he wants to wean you off of your addiction. You are addicted to the opinions of other people. And the only way to get free, delivered from it, is to live in contradictory opinions and you don't do nothing about it. It's called detox, cold turkey. See, we hear somebody says something about us and we run to them. And it's not because we want peace in the body of Christ. We want to give you the appropriate information so you'll understand that I'm a great person and now everyone likes me. Does everybody, everybody likes me? Everybody likes me. My peace comes from everyone thinking I'm great. That's why we have to have the last word in every argument. We have to make sure they get the email or the Facebook post and we apologize and we apologize and we live so careful because the whole goal is to make sure that we don't offend anybody so that everybody's good with me so that I can have peace in my heart and you're an addict. Yeah, it matters what people think. But it should never matter to the point where it alters your choices and your spontaneous way of life. Because if you are accepted by God, then you have the capacity to be rejected by men. And God wanted to make a king. When he called Saul, he took him right from hiding in the luggage to the palace. He was the worst king Israel ever had. He put David in the wilderness 
and learned who his source was, and he became this great king. And Saul, when he heard that somebody else had great praise like David, he hated him because Saul wanted the opinion of the people. When the kingdom was rent from Saul and Samuel, uh, Saul grabbed Samuel's garment and it tore from him. And he goes, so has God rent the kingdom from you. And he goes, oh, that's okay that the kingdom's gone. Would you just stand with me in front of the people so that God, they'll think God's with me? And Samuel's like, you pitiful soul. If that's all you want is people to like you, sure. So here's Samuel, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, stands with Saul and Saul's doing the wave and God's gone. Because it so mattered to him what people thought. And we see David walking away from his son and the revolt. And they said, what of the ark of the Lord? Do you want us to bring the ark of the Lord? He goes, no. What about the kingdom? You're going to lose the kingdom. He said, if God wants me to have the kingdom, he'll have the kingdom. If God wants to restore me, God will restore me. If God wants to give me a reputation, he'll give me a reputation. Because my life is not measured by the voice of men. My life is measured by the voice of God and what God speaks over my life. I love that David was great, but he never called himself great. I love that David was able to hear the chants of people, but he would pull away from thousands of people shouting his name to sit in front of a tent and look upon the gaze, or gaze upon the glory of God. David found his identity not in what people said about him, but by what God said about him. And some of you are in this place and you can't get it right because God's the one making it wrong so that you can be free, free from this addiction of the approval of people. Now, if you're one of those people, I don't care what nobody says, you need a therapist. God doesn't want you arrogant or ignorant either. Yeah, it matters. Sure, it matters. And we want to live our life in such a way that the Christian name is not marred because of how we live. David was still tender and gentle and kind, but he said, no, I'm not going to live that way. Now, here your pastor. I'm, I'm really giving you some practical stuff, and I've already freed myself from if I don't finish, I don't finish. We'll come back and hit part two. I want to make sure you get this. People that are slaves to the opinion of other people have no idea. They'll see you as weird and off. And they'll say you don't care. But there's a freedom in that. When I, can I tell you the truth? I've been telling you the truth, but can I, can I tell you more truth? More better truth? When I first pastored, many nights I wept over what people thought about me. I really did. People leave the church and don't tell you goodbye. and don't, I'd cry. I'd cry because they left me. When you didn't come to church and the crowds are off, that was your vote against me. And, oh, that is horrible. That's torturous. Because now i got to call everybody and i got to write you and I make sure, are you good? Are you good? Oh, good. I'm good. Are you good? Oh, good. And the, and the church grows. i got more people to check with. And if there's a big crowd, I'm great. If there's a small crowd, I'm not so great. And if they ask me to leave, then I don't exist anymore. It's a tyranny. It's horrible. Rip your soul apart. And several years ago, in the darkest period of my life, God began to wean me off of the opinions of people by causing great shame. And I had one or two choices. I can go and try to do my marketing like Absalom did his marketing to win the hearts of people. And it dawned on me that if I have to do all that for you to like me, then I got to do all that for you to keep liking me. And I decided to quit cold turkey. That is hard. <laughs> Mo hard. Because all you got to do is give somebody the information the last little bit of the story, and they go, oh, well, I'll change my mind. You're great. And then you spend your life, that becomes your occupation to be great in the eyes of men. David was no stranger to this, and he decided to leave it all in the hands of God. God wants you to be free from the approval of people. 
Stop changing who you are so they'll like you. Changing how you look so they'll recognize you. Changing what you believe so they'll accept you. Changing your destination so they'll walk with you. They took it upon themselves, these same people, to diagnose David's situation and make a prediction as to its outcome. Their statement, there was no help for him in God. Be careful not to let anyone be the barometer of your soul. You find out exactly where you are in God's grace by his word and the witness of his Holy Spirit. They said, there's no help for him in God. And if you listen to people in that moment, you'll take their misinformation, their disinformation. You'll believe a lie and start living in something that was not even a reality. They made an opinion. Many ministers understand this plight. I've experienced it myself. And listen, I got a good church. I'm treated wonderful. No, no martyr here. But I've experienced this where people will come at you at a critical time in your life where it looks like all of God's blessing has been removed. Maybe God's judgment is upon you. Maybe it is. And they'll come up and look you in the face and tell you, God's judged you. He's done. I've had them put their finger in my face and say, you deserve everything that's happening to you. God's judging you. And even if they're right, who are they to speak for God in our lives? God's, it's almost like God's judging you and I'm glad for it. Don't ever be that person. You can be so right, you're dead right. They drug that little woman naked, taken in the act of adultery in front of Jesus. Taken in the act. She's trying to cover her breast and her private parts. They're dragging her into the middle of town. Where's the guy at? Oh, they let him go because they knew him. They let him go. And they drug him in the middle and they said, Jesus, word of God. The word of God says that she should be stoned. Can you, do you see the irony in this? Word of God the word of God says she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And he just stoops down and starts writing in the ground. Hey, Jesus, the Torah says she's supposed to die. Yeah, somebody's about to die. He's writing in the ground. And I've heard preachers preach and scholars teach on what he wrote. He was writing the Ten Commandments. He was writing the sins of the people in the crowd down. And say, well, Pastor John, what do you think? Well, I'm going to tell you my part and we'll muddy the water all together. The Bible doesn't tell us. I think he was counting. You know when you're real mad and you go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think he sees these adulterers, these liars, these covetous men that love to stand in the synagogues with all their praise and brought this woman with her sin in front of him when they lived in sin. I think he was counting in the ground. And then he messed his ground up, I believe, and he stood and he goes, all right, you who have not sinned, you throw the first rock. How about you, old man? And he looked into his eyes with the eyes of all knowing, says, you want to throw a rock? And beginning with the oldest unto the youngest, they put the stone down and they walked away. Oh, they were right. They were so right that they were wrong. If you want to be the person that pronounces God's judgment on another person, you're disqualified. If you're the person that likes it, wants to do it, I'm just the prophet God sent. No, you're not. The prophet God sends weeps over the judgment of the children of God. Never in an arrogant spirit. I told you don't let other people tell you where you are in God or who you are in God because they don't know. You know where you are in the timetable of God. You know by your spirit the witness of God's spirit and the word of God. See, a multitude of people on one side or the other doesn't change the reality. If everyone said David was innocent, no, he's not. And if everyone got on this side and said, God's done with you, no, he's not. It doesn't matter the percentages of people in your life that say yes or no because they're as flawed as we are. You get your identity from the word of God and the spirit of God. And then David said, after this scripture... Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help from, for him in God. Selah. Which means pause and think about that. Or it can mean, let's take this to a higher note and a louder note. 
So he either said, that's enough of that foolishness. Or he said, we're going we're to change keys here. We're going to shift out of that minor chord and we're going to go into a brighter chord, a louder chord, a happier chord. And I want to tell you as your pastor, you have the control knob of the Selah in your life. You can pause. You can hit the pause button on the DVR of your life and go, enough of that. Let's pause. Let's shift gears and take our eyes off of us and put our gaze on God. David knew who he was and whose he was. He said in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. He chose to take his eyes off his situation. That was horrible. And set his gaze upon God. Even though David had a reason for despondency, his knowledge of God gave him reason for hope. His confidence was not in his knowledge of the future. But in the, in the, uh, or in the might of the soldiers still with him. His, or in the abilities of himself as a military general. His confidence was in the person of God and the promises made by him toward David. When you're in the impossible situation and life is spiraling out of control and the crowds get thin and everybody pronounces their judgment upon you, all you have to do is remember the promises God spoke over your life. And God told him that David wasn't going to build a house, but Solomon's going to build a house. And you're going to install him as king. And that hadn't happened yet. Has anybody in this church got something that ain't happened yet that God promised you? You can't die till that happens. You, you can't die till God's done. Just a side note. Do you remember when David fought Goliath? David wasn't made for Goliath. Goliath was bred in the womb of a Philistine woman for the sole purpose of introducing David to Israel. And the day his purpose was done, Goliath was done. He grew him up to expose David to the nation of Israel. Well, you can flip that around until the purposes of your life are done. You can't go nowhere. God's going to have his way in the earth. David said, but thou, O Lord, thou, O Lord, with every accusation, every trial, every battle, every loss, every impossible situation, what you need to do in your difficult place is pause and say, but God. I know all of that, but God. T.D. Jakes preached a message years ago, and he was talking about this passage, or a passage, but God, where you put the butt in there, and he goes, throw your butt into it. <laughs> you just need to throw your butt into it. And I know what he was saying, you know, it sounded a little off, but yes, God's done with you. But I know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God's done with you. But God said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. God's done with you. But as for the Lord, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to those that trust in him. But God is done with you. But God would never forsake his own. He's forever married. But you're a backslider. But God is forever married to the backslider. But God, where do you need to put that in your life? With all this clamoring and all this accusation and all this failure and all this difficulty in an impossible situation. If you just write, but God, and then let God tell you what to put in the blank after that. Though his kingship was being taken from him, God's kingship remained. Though David had been removed from his throne, God was still seated on his. I love that. We're focusing on what we're losing and losing sight of the fact that God's still positionally where he was. And the same God that gave David a throne could take a throne or give it back to him. David said, I didn't grasp it to get it. And I don't have to grasp it to keep it. I don't know who that's for. That's not in my notes. But the things that you have that are in danger right now, you didn't grasp it to get it. And you don't have to grasp it to keep it. If the Lord wants you to have it, you'll have it. And it's easy. Doesn't mean you don't have to fight, but it's easy. The result is easy. David said, you are my shield. But you, O oh Lord, are my shield from every attack 
every enemy, every fiery dart, every weapon. The Bible says that this is the victory that overcomes the whole world. Your faith in God and taking the shield of faith, your belief system about who God is and who you are to him, your shield of faith will extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. They used to dip the arrows. They'd have right behind the, the metal end, there would be leather wrapped there. And they would dip it in kerosene and they would shoot. So even if the arrow didn't kill you, it was on fire and it would set fire to homes. It would set fire to leather shields. It would set fire to uh, anything that was combustible. And the Bible says that your faith can extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. Because you, O Lord, are a shield unto me. You protect my going out and my coming in from this day forward and forevermore. You protected me in my womb. There's somebody here today protected you when your mama didn't even want to keep you. Wasn't even going to have you. And he, he moved on her to carry you full term. And you're still here because of the grace of God. He defended you in your adolescence years. He's protected you. He's protect You, O oh Lord, are my shield. Here's David, the commander over the undefeatable force of the nation of Israel, and he's lost almost all the army. Got three, four, five hundred men still with him. And he said, without saying it. You know, there's a lot of times we, we feel what we never say. He said, oh Lord, my trust has never been in the soldiers, Joab and the priest. You my shield, Father. You my shield. You deflect the worst that hell had for me. And when it stuck into me and there was fire and it burned in my life, the breath of your nostril blew it out. See, some of you are confused. You're saying, if God's for me, then why has this stuff happened? The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. It doesn't say he keeps the flood from coming. He lets it come. He lets the arrow come, but once the enemy comes, then he raises up the standard so that you won't be confused that you missed this difficult season through your own intellect and strategizing. You get to impossible places. You're walking away from all that you had barefoot and uncovered, and then the Lord comes in and turns the whole thing around. Anybody else know that God is your shield, has been your shield all your life, protecting you? You're not only my shield, but you're my glory. My sins may have disgraced me. My glory is not in who I am, but in who you are. My glory is found in your purposes, not in their curses. With all this glory in David's life, with all his accolades, with all his victories, with his positional authority, with his reign as king of Israel, recording most of the book of Psalms, the most spoken of character in the Old Testament, he goes, oh, that's nothing. You're my glory, Lord. Don't you just love it when in the worst of times things pour out of you unplanned where David said, I'm not the light of Israel. You're the light of Israel. I'm not the shield. You're the shield. And I don't have no glory. Lord, you're my glory. Always have been and always will be. And you're the lifter of my head. David may have been forced off his throne, but God was still with him. He was saying by faith, you will not allow my face to hang low. You will restore me back above what my enemies have spoke over me because your vows are upon me and you delight in me. David made some critical choices that helped him navigate this impossible place. Let me give you these real quickly. David chose not just to cry, but to cry unto God. World of difference. Some of you are good about letting your emotions show. In difficult times, you cry, you cry freely, you cry loudly. But there's a difference between crying and crying unto God. If you just cry, your tears hit the ground. If you cry unto God, they fall in his hands. And God knows what tears mean. David cried unto the Lord. He said, with my voice, I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me. And he said, I chose to lay down. I laid me down and slept. Listen, after you put everything in the hands of God, you know you have put it in the hands of God fully. 
when you can sleep on it. Instead of worrying, scheming, strategizing, enlisting the help of men, or self-medicating, David would tell you, I did it. No one else did it for me. I calmed myself down. I settled myself down. I committed it to God, and I went to bed, and I slept. I gave my trust to God, and God gave me rest. Just like Jesus asleep on the boat, and God calmed the storm with supernatural power. Just like Peter slept in the prison, and God responded with supernatural deliverance. Just like Daniel slept in a lion's den, and God responded with supernatural preservation. David now slept through the night of his son's murderous rebellion, and God granted supernatural perspective. If our musician would come, please. David cried unto the Lord. Excuse me just a moment. David cried to the Lord. He said, I laid me down and slept, and I awakened. I want you to see that in your Bible, verse 5. I laid me down and slept. God didn't do that for me. I did it. And I awakened. For the Lord has sustained me. I knew getting this part in the sermon, this was going to be very hard for me. His first thought when he woke up was, the Lord sustained me. I declared, thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory of my life. You're going to be the one that lifts my head. You're not going to let my head hang down low. I commit this thing to you. Good night, God. And I slept. And when he awoke, he realized that he and everybody with him was still okay. And he said, the Lord sustained me. He has sustained me in my sins. This is me talking. It could apply to David, but in my sins, in my failures, in my weaknesses, in my mistakes, in my rebellion, in my foolishness, in my bad choices, the Lord has sustained me. He sustained me in blessings. He sustained me in cursings in poverty and in abundance, in sickness, in health. When I was rich and when I was poor, God has sustained me. Through the tragedies of childhood, the foolishness of my teen years and the arrogance of my 20s, God sustained me. He sustained me when others counted me out, when I counted myself out, and when my will to live was gone. He sustained me. When I believed, He sustained me. When I didn't believe, he sustained me. In darkness, through disappointment and sorrow, he sustained me through disillusionment, cynicism, bitterness, and despondency. He kept me in the womb of my mother when she had measles. He kept me when I was born a waterhead child and they said I had a 0% chance to live. He kept me when they said I would never have the mentality of a three-year-old if I lived. I got news for you. I may not be smart, but I got it all over a three-year-old. He kept me. He kept me through the arrogance of my 20s when I would have died lost. And a man was as close to me in grief and put a gun to my head and blew out the wall behind me because I would have died in my sins. But he kept me. He kept me when I woke up beside my motorcycle from driving intoxicated. I woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning with students walking by me going to class. And I was just laid by my bike holding my helmet. Don't know how I got there. He kept me. He kept me through my sins, my broken promises, going back to my old ways like a dog returns to his vomit. He kept me. He kept me in the early years of my pastorate when I didn't know even know what I was doing. He kept me in successes and not letting pride go to my head. He kept me when I became proud anyway. He kept me and preserved me. He kept me through divorce. He kept me through a season where almost every night of my life I asked him to take me home. He preserved me. See, 
no matter how raggedy you look and how bad the situation is and what everybody else say, if you will put your pieces in the hand of God and go to sleep on it, you'll find yourself awake. And then <laughs> when you make it through the night, boldness, that something happens. To, listen, when you're supposed to die and you don't die, you get an attitude about you. I got three or four minutes. You can tell who God's with by who makes it through the night. God's not with you, Moses. God's not with you, Aaron. We're all priests. We can all be priests. And God says, okay, every tribe of Israel, get a stick, a dead stick, a broom handle, put your name on it and put it before my presence. So they all lay it out before the Lord. And the next morning they get up and Aaron's rod had buds, blossoms and fruit on it a broom handle overnight you could tell who God was with by who made it through the night and who had fruit in their life Aaron didn't do nothing we ain't about nothing but we're chosen we're chosen so he awakened and when he realized that they were supposed to come kill him they had the whole nation set to kill him he goes Oh, if I made it through that, I'm going to make it through this. And he said, I will not be afraid of 10,000s against me. And he said, God, here's what I want you to do. Wait a minute. <laughs> he shifted from, there's no hope for him and God. Everybody's talking, barefoot, veil over his head. Get rid of that. Give me some shoes. Give me some shoes. My perspective has changed. Oh, God. Yeah, it's me, your beloved. Yeah, yeah. Break the teeth off. I'm not, break the, all that biting and snarling. Break their teeth off. Show them who you are. It wasn't about his life. It was about God's plans. He goes, have your way in the earth. Have your way. You navigate horrible places by addressing it, bringing it to God, sleeping on it. And then you say, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But I'm not worried about it no more. Have your way. Because Lord, you're my shield. You're my strength. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. And wouldn't you know it, that angels got involved. God got involved. Absalom got killed. All the crowd. <laughs> it's so funny. I've watched it work in my life. I'm telling you. Just so we don't make a mistake. I ain't about nothing. But I've watched it work. And all these people that there's no help for him in God and cursing him. David's coming back. All the armies disbanded and they're walking beside him. I knew the Lord was with you. I knew the whole time. I wasn't standing those people. They're crazy. I'm with you. King. Woo, David. And he's like, I'm not addicted to that no more. Thank you, though. Hey, can we go kill Shimei? He goes, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. God used him to free me. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. So, Pastor Wood, what are you saying? In a nutshell, it's this. If God be with you and God be for you, sleep on it. Commit your way to the Lord. Go to bed. And if the Lord delight in you and you wake up, be bold. Be strong because the Lord your God that's with you is mighty. And in his time, it's going to happen. It wasn't about David. It was about the Lord. If you feel the Lord speaking to you, and I know it might not be a lot of you, but I'm going to navigate this tight place, and I'm coming out for the glory of God. Not by might, not by power, not by strategies, but by God's Spirit in me. I want you to stand. Would you just begin to dialogue with the Lord right where you are? These are not thoughts. You speak them. Articulate it. Let you hear yourself talk to God about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
glory. Glory, glory, glory. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Pause. But thou, O Lord, are a shield unto me. I don't believe what they say. I believe what you say. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Glory. Church family, would you stand with us? Can I tell you something on a personal level? Of course, a lot of that's personal, but this is more personal. I'm starting to dream about my little girls. I'm starting to dream about when they're old enough to talk to them about God in, a, in deeper ways. And I'm already like, I don't want to hurry, but I, I can't wait for them to be inquisitive as a teenager and really get it. And I get to sit down and tell them. I'm not so interested in telling them about what I've done. <laughs> and the churches I've started and the successes I've had. I want to tell them how he preserved me. <laughs> he preserved my soul. <laughs> I want to tell them they, that some of them wrote your daddy off. They had assessed the situation. But the same God that preserved your daddy is going to preserve you and your little girls. He's going to preserve your going out and your coming in from this day forward and forevermore. Because Isabel, the Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? So as you go out this week, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Sleep on it. And awaken with a brand new perspective. And here's final words. David said, and Lord, your salvation is on me. Your blessing is upon me. And for those of you I've been having to see law this whole time, see law on that. That's what he said. That's what he said. Have a great Lord's Day. God bless you. <laughs>